Drug deaths keep piling up. Our policies are killing people. Why stopping the other health emergency is so difficult. Parents press for more options. Very few wanted the in-class instruction. Will the province band on forcing kids back into classrooms? And an off-leash dog attack. <laughs> the search for the dog owner who showed no remorse. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We start with the crisis killing more British Columbians than COVID-19, homicides, suicides and car crashes combined. It's the shocking rise in street drug deaths this year. According to a new report, the number of illicit drug deaths in B.C. was more than 170 in July, marking the fifth consecutive month that provincial totals surpassed triple digits. Brad McLeod has more on what has made the situation worse and the key to saving lives. The numbers are staggering. 136% increase of deadly overdoses compared to this time last year. That's almost six deaths a day. My heart and my condolences go out to every family member, every mother, every father, every brother, sister, friend. 175 people died of illicit drug toxicity last month. But the deadly trend has continued for months. June, 177 people overdosed. May, 174. More than 900 people have died so far this year. The vast majority of all illicit drug deaths in B.C. involve fentanyl. Most are men between 19 and 49 years old. Indigenous people are disproportionately affected. The area's hardest hit, Vancouver, Surrey, and Victoria. Some reasons for the particularly deadly months? Border closures are thought to have caused more drugs to be made or tampered with in Canada. Does anyone care? This advocate and former drug user asking the federal government to supply safe and regulated drugs to users. If we let this become the new normal, then we are telling people some lives matter more than others. There has been some progress, like more access to the opioid blocker naloxone and some small experiments with safe drug dispensers like this one in Vancouver. If you're addicted, you're not a criminal. You're someone who needs help. BC leaders have asked the feds to decriminalize personal possession of illicit drugs and the chief coroner asking physicians who are choosing not to pitch in to start. To ensure access to opioid agonist treatment for patients with opioid use disorder. Bonnie Henry asking anyone struggling to tell someone about their addiction because the stigma is also killing people. I implore anybody who is using drugs right now, do not do it alone. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria. A slight uptick in COVID-19 hospitalizations to tell you about tonight. As we learn the latest numbers for B.C., we have 58 new cases bringing B.C.'s total to 5,242. No new deaths to report, so that number holds at 203. There are four more people in hospital for a total of 22, seven of them in ICU. 4,114 people are considered fully recovered, leaving us with 925 active cases and 2,675 people in isolation. 
So we'll bring in Keith Baldry again here for more on this. Keith, one place you definitely don't want an outbreak is at a hospital, but mm -hmm. we learned of one at Langley Memorial. What have you found out about it? Yeah, this involves a patient who was discharged after receiving surgery at Langley Memorial, went home, uh, felt the symptoms for COVID-19, went in and got tested, and it was confirmed to be a positive case. So an outbreak has been declared there. The hospital's still open. There's nothing wrong there. There's been a deep cleaning of the, of the surgery room where this occurred. And why it's called an outbreak is because it actually occurred on site. There's another employee at Royal Columbian Hospital who has also tested pos uh, positive for the virus, but there's no outbreak uh, declared there because that person got the virus somewhere out in the communities. You hear a lot about outbreaks. Outbreaks are specific sites where it's determined the virus actually was picked up at a site rather than out in the general community. That's the big difference here, but there's an outbreak in Langley, but it means the hospital remains open. All right. There's also some interesting data when you break down where the active COVID-19 mm -hmm. cases are located. Yeah, we've got so many active cases now. It's very illustrative to take a look at where they actually are. And it shows, again, that B.C., uh, much of B.C., the vast majority of B.C., in terms of geographical terms, doesn't have a lot of COVID. Take a look at these numbers. Uh, first of all, you can see the most active cases are split basically 50-50 between Fraser Health Authority and Vancouver Coastal. In fact, they represent 94% of all the COVID-19 cases out there right now. And Fraser's long been the epicenter for our pandemic, but now Vancouver Coastal is joining joining Fraser and basically splitting the cases in terms of active cases. So again, that's a geographical illustration of, of basically two different pandemics. Now, the active cases will probably start going down, Chris, unless we see a big spike in numbers, because uh, those 14-day incubation periods for all those people who started to be part of the 90 a day, 100 a day, 80 a day, that's about to end for them. And so they're going to be declared recovered, and that number should go down before it hits, hopefully before it hits 1,000. A lot of that tied into the August long weekend, too, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. All right. Well, yep. good to know. Thanks very much, Keith. Well, with back to school a little more than two weeks away and no end to COVID-19 infections in sight, the Surrey School District Parent Advisory Council is now demanding the school board and the province provide remote learning options for families. A new survey shows many just aren't comfortable with the return to in-class instruction. Aaron MacArthur reports. <laughs> A little more than two weeks from now, the playgrounds will be full of kids. Schools will be open, and the expectation from government is 100% of elementary students will be in class. It's an idea that parents in Surrey aren't thrilled about. We wanted to gauge a better understand where our parents stand. Nearly 3,500 responded to a survey. More than half of people said they would be sending their kids back to school but reluctantly. 26% of parents are planning to keep their kids home. Fewer than 20% of parents feel in-class learning is best right now. 42% want some sort of a hybrid model. The online option is not for all. That needs to be a very, very clear message. It needs to be one of the options that is given to parents. And we really want to know what parents exactly are asking for. The Surrey superintendent was unavailable for an interview Tuesday, but he did put out a video addressing parents. The district has a survey out of its own. And if parents want a hybrid model, they need to let the district know. Parents and teachers have been clear about their wants and needs. The BCTF has sent 15,000 letters to MLAs asking for a redefined plan. It is not ideal. We are not in an ideal situation. But it is necessary that both families and teachers and support staff 
feel safe when they return to school. While everyone continues to amass information about the restart, the restart is getting closer. And so far, there doesn't seem like there's enough clarity for people to make an informed decision. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Despite adding some reinforcements to get through the ICBC road test backlog, many would-be drivers say they're stuck in neutral, forced to wait months to get an appointment. Ted Chernecki shows us why. Taking a road test in B.C. today is nothing like it was pre-pandemic. you got to put on a, a different mask every time as well. Face masks, shields, seat covers for both licensee and tester, wiping down the student driver's vehicle for the test. Cumbersome stuff, but probably not as difficult as it is to actually book a roadside test. I gave up because the site crashed, and then I woke up the next morning. Still couldn't get on because of high traffic messages on the ICBC website. August 24th was the first day you could go online to book an appointment since the pandemic shut everything. In the Lower Mainland, tests are backed up to December or January. Our economic recovery requires and needs people to work, and for people to work, they have to be mobile. And they can't do so when they don't have their driver's license. It's appalling that ICBC says that call in, we have lots of people, and then they're told that they can't get a uh, driver's test until January. Working parents everywhere have better things to do than be a chauffeur for their young adolescents. At 5 o'clock in the morning, I'm not letting him walk or ride his bike, so one of us is having to drive him to work at quarter to 5 in the morning on Saturday and Sunday. And... You know, it's important for him as a grade 12 student to have that independence and be able to drive himself to school, drive himself to work. BC says it'll get better after they transform those long underutilized claims depots to new roadside testing centers and add up to 100 more temporary examiners. That'll help us address the current demand and we'll be able to be in a place where it's similar to the same levels pre-COVID. ICBC says an examiner can spend up to an hour side-by-side side with a stranger, and it needed to keep everyone safe before they could restart testing. But those frustrated with the Crown Corporation's website crashing and appointments reaching into the new year, and there are a lot of unhappy customers, this is too little too late. They had a lot of time to prepare. They've had a lot of, a lot of resources to prepare, and I feel like they've just dropped the ball. Ted Chernecki, Global News. After a major home sales slowdown during the first months of the pandemic, the B.C. Real Estate Association is predicting strong sales numbers for the rest of 2020 and into next year. The association says residential sales in B.C. are now on pace for a 6.5% rise over last year, with more than 82,000 transactions. The group is forecasting an even bigger sales boost for 2021, predicting a further 17% increase along with single-digit price increases. Three men are facing a number of charges after a number of catalytic converter thefts in Surrey. RCMP say they started an investigation back in September 2019, and 13 charges were laid in July and August of this year. Officers say people usually target catalytic converters for valuable metals and often choose vehicles with higher ground clearance like minivans and SUVs. 39-year-old Stephen Pelland, 40-year-old Chad Pollard, and 49-year-old Richard Mantler are all facing 13 charges. Vancouver Police Constable Neil Logan gave his side of the story today during an OPCC public hearing into a wellness check that turned violent back in 2016. The situation escalated into a brawl with the family inside, leaving a then 60-year-old man with serious injuries. 
Ramina Dea reports, but first a warning, some of the images in this story are disturbing. An 11th hour attempt by Constable Neil Logan's lawyer to get his client out of cross-examination fails. The VPD officer testifying, Vladimir Chaikun, would not allow Constable Eric Ludeman into Chaikun's home to check on Chaikun's wife. said, you're not coming in here, you are not talking to her. And then he tried to shut the door. Not true. There was no communication, says Chaikun, an engineer who was 60 at the time. Moments later, a violent battle erupts with the entire family. Logan telling the hearing he punched and kicked Chaikun because his partner was on his back, Chaikun on top. So you didn't say, hey, calm down, talk to your husband. We're here, we got this call that you were assaulted by him. We just want to talk to you folks. Talk to him, calm down. You never did anything like that, did you? Absolutely not. The family charged me immediately. I had no time to react with any type of that kind of interaction. They came to check my well-being, but they finished taking myself and my son into prison where I spent the whole day and night without any explanation. And the, taking he, Yes, because I was witnessing that he was beating my son and he was beating my husband to death. What they did with him, they were killing him. Natalia Chaikun telling Global News there was no domestic abuse. The allegations made by a neighbor, false. The family says Logan's evidence doesn't add up. This is a completely different story. Story invented because this is the same way cover up uh, abuse, use of force, grossly use of force as a police officer. Constables Logan and Ludeman are still VPD members. If there is a negative finding against the officers, the OPCC says it's too early to say what it could recommend as disciplinary action. Romina Dea, Global News. The legal team for Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou has lost its battle to have the contents of six confidential documents released to them. Meng remains under Van- or in Vancouver under house arrest, facing extradition to the United States to face fraud charges. Her lawyers had argued the redacted documents support the claim that Meng sof- suffered an abusive process during her arrest at YVR in 2018. The judge ruled the information contained in the documents is not relevant to those allegations of abuse and their disclosure would harm Canada's national security. More important than CISA's documents is the vice presidential candidate just announced with Joe Biden. That's a person who grew up in Montreal, Westmount High School. If Biden wins, it will likely be the VP who will travel to Ottawa to enjoy that golden hour with the prime minister and exchange top 10 irritant lists between the countries. This case is likely going to be on that list. And with the Canadian touch, the Canadian interest of the VP, this case may go away the same way it started, politically. Dog owners terrified when their pet got attacked. My dad was trying to kick the dogs off, and my mom was screaming, help. What happened when they confronted the owner of the pack of dogs they say did nothing to stop the attack in just over a minute? Lurid details of a sex scandal involving Jerry Falwell Jr., one of America's most influential religious leaders. That's later on the news hour. And the tragically hip put their stamp on PPE, the non-medical masks it takes courage to wear coming up. 
Right now, though, RCMP are investigating after a small family dog was mauled by a pack of canines in Coquitlam last night. The injuries to the pet are bad enough, but as Sarah McDonald reports, it's what the offending dog's owner did after the alleged attack that has the family really fuming. And again, a warning, some of the images are disturbing. What started as two separate family outings in Coquitlam's Burke Mountain neighborhood on Monday evening. And they came and they attacked me here quickly spiraled, turning violence and confrontational. When these sisters say their family's 10-year-old small breed dog leashed alongside them was attacked by a group of much larger dogs off-leash. My mom was screaming help and the guy just stands there and is like, they're just playing man. When they attacked him, he was on the ground and I, I tried to grab him again and put it in my arm. Their dog, Romeo, survived but was left bleeding with severe injuries and a mounting vet bill, $2,000 and climbing for his owners to handle. Making matters worse, they say, the lack of response and compassion from the other party. He just watched as my parents were kicking his dogs off of um, our dog. Coquitlam RCMP have been notified and an investigation has been launched with both parties said to be working with the city's bylaw enforcement and animal control services. He could have handled it like a man and he could have taken responsibility and it, it would have been done right there but now it's it's something a lot bigger. Hi Romeo. As Romeo recovers from surgery and what could be life-altering injuries his owners say the senior canine is still unable to walk. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Search and rescue teams in Coquitlam are following some promising leads in the search for a missing hiker. Almost 48 hours since 52-year-old Ali Safar Naderi was reported missing, RCMP say there's footage of him captured on a trail camera from Sunday. Naderi is known to hike alone around the Eagle Mountain area, and thanks to tips from the public, teams have been able to focus their search further north. Police say there's nothing to indicate foul play, rather an unprepared hiker who became lost. As we move into the next phase of this search, it's very important that people give our search and rescue volunteers the room they need to work. Please don't come to this location. Don't contaminate the trail. That's one of the best things you can do to help us. The other is to keep those tips coming. Still ahead, keeping a close watch on a young orca. Springer and her and Storm are rarely seen these days. What recent drone images tell experts about the calf's health. And later, the dinosaur of Lanceville settling into its new home. Crews are on scene to a crash here in Maple Ridge, westbound on Lowheat Highway near 203rd in the right lane just causing them minor delay on the approach. Need to renew your car insurance? Call BCAA to save, get better coverage, or both. Visit bcaa.com slash ICBC. Interest you listening Global One, hype of a crash in Maple Ridge. After a week of nervously waiting and watching, evacuees displaced by the Christie Mountain wildfire found out the regional district of Okanagan Similkameen is rescinding an evacuation order. And that means the majority of residents who have properties at Heritage Hills south of Penticton can go home. But as Global Shelby Tom reports tonight, that is not the case for everyone just yet. 
It was a week ago that beachgoers spotted a small puff of smoke on the east side of Skaha Lake near Penticton. The aggressive brush fire quickly exploding in size, burning up more than 20 square kilometers of land. An ominous sight as hundreds of people in the Heritage Hill subdivision fled their homes. Thousands more ready to leave at a moment's notice. One home was destroyed. But what a difference a week makes. This is what the Christie Mountain wildfire looks like seven days in. Now a smoldering ground fire, no longer posing an imminent threat to homes and businesses. Our crews and uh, entire team on the operations side continue to make great effort uh, and, and great progress uh, in working towards containment. On Monday, the evacuation alert for nearly 3,700 properties in the southeast portion of the city was rescinded. A day later, the news evacuees have been waiting for. We are able to allow the majority of the homeowners back into their homes. But 75 properties at the top of Heritage Hills behind me remain under an evacuation order as geotechnical assessments continue. It's possible the wildfire left the hillside and residential retaining walls unstable. It could be another few days before those residents can return home. The RDOS will do everything possible to make sure that that happens as soon as possible. An emotional homecoming for some evacuees who spent seven anxious nights fearing they could lose everything. They didn't lose one home. They saved 318, so emotional day for me. My house is still standing, so that's a blessing. It's wonderful, and I really thank all the people that made it possible. A neighborhood saved from disaster and a community brimming with gratitude. It's good to be home. Shelby Tom, Global News. Well, if you drive past a property just north of Nanaimo and see a dinosaur, your eyes are not deceiving you. Meet Lance, a four and a half meter tall animatronic Amargosaurus, attracting attention at the entrance to a Lanceville business. This is just one of two dinosaurs collector Stan Potty bid on at an online auction we told you about earlier this month. Potty spent $40,000 on the robotic beasts and says he has no buyer's remorse. The collector says he gets a kick out of startling visitors. It's been crazy here the last uh, two or three days. There's been people coming and going. It was crazy from the time I got him up and running and got his voice box in. That night we couldn't sleep. It was just we wanted to stay up all night and play with the first one. And, and uh, the amazing thing about him, his tail moves. They, they breathe, they, they look like a real dinosaur. So when you're watching them, you just can't take your eyes off it, right? Potty says he also has bids in for a T-Rex and a Velociraptor. And he hopes to have them all on display with the rest of his collection very soon. It's a little, it's a little weird. <laughs> it's weird. The kids love it, though. Up ahead, new developments in the Icefields tragedy. The lawsuit that targets the bus operator next. And one of the most prominent religious leaders in the United States taken down in a sex scandal. Traffic is steady both ways over here at the Patello Bridge this evening. It's also eased off underneath the Patello Bridge eastbound on Front Street towards Columbia. Just some minor congestion on that Royal Avenue on-ramp. For 47 years, Kermat Collision and Autoglass has provided unmatched superior customer service and satisfaction. With 18 lower mainland locations, there's a Kermac in your neighborhood. Visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. 
Well, it doesn't get much more scandalous than the story that's emerging about U.S. evangelical leader Jerry Falwell Jr., his wife, and her alleged affair with their business partner. Falwell has been forced to resign from the university his dad founded after shocking details of the sex scandal were revealed. The Board of Trustees at Liberty University has accepted the resignation of Jerry Falwell Jr., issuing a statement Tuesday saying in part, the full board gathered by conference call and unanimously voted to affirm the decision of the executive committee. The decision came after Giancarlo Granda claimed in an interview with Reuters that he had a years-long sexual relationship involving Falwell's wife and the evangelical leader. Granda said he was 20 when he met the Falwells while working as a pool attendant at a Miami Beach hotel in March 2012. Granda said their relationship continued until 2018 and involved him having sex with Becky Falwell while Jerry Falwell looked on. Granda shared evidence with Reuters to support his account, including this phone call. His new thing is like telling me every time he has sex with people, like, like I don't have feelings or something. You're going to make a joke. Uh, not trying to do that. But Falwell's version of the story is different. Falwell issued a statement to the Washington Examiner saying his wife had an inappropriate personal relationship with a man they had first met while on vacation and later went into business with. Falwell wrote he was not involved in the affair, but the man began threatening to publicly reveal the relationship unless Falwell and his wife agreed to pay him substantial monies. We must unite behind Donald Trump and Mike Pence. Falwell, who spoke at the 2016 Republican National Convention, has been a fierce supporter of President Trump. His wife Becky is an advisory board member of Women for Trump and appeared in an interview with President Trump's daughter-in-law, Lara. We look forward to 2020 and winning and making America great again and again and again. Falwell was already on an indefinite leave of absence from the university after he posted this photo on social media with his pants unzipped. He said the photo was taken at a costume party. Nancy Chen, CBS News. And Republicans are preparing for the second night of their nominating convention featuring the First Lady and a controversial appearance by the Secretary of State. I want to enslave you to the weak, dependent, liberal, victim ideology to the point that you will not recognize this country or yourself. That was from last night. The program included some dark, apocalyptic rhetoric against the Democrats. Tonight, the Republican Party is hoping to build on the opening night praise for President Donald Trump and its blistering criticism of Democrats. Melania Trump will headline the GOP gathering from the Rose Garden, breaking precedent by using the White House as a campaign backdrop. Mike Pompeo will also speak from Jerusalem. A House panel is investigating whether the Secretary of State is breaking State Department policy and the law by mixing politics with diplomacy. A class action lawsuit has been filed against the operators of a tour bus involved in a fatal rollover at the Columbia Icefield in July. As Global's Carolyn Curry de Castillo reports, the lawsuit alleges the defendants acted recklessly and unreasonably. It was a terrifying crash that changed many families in an instant. Three people were killed and 14 others critically injured when the all-terrain ice explorer rolled down an embankment on the road to the Athabasca Glacier. Devin Ernest was on the bus with his girlfriend, Dion DeRocher. She died at the scene. When I went turning back to my girlfriend, she just, 
she had her eyes closed and she wasn't breathing no more. The Saskatchewan man is the lead plaintiff in a class action lawsuit filed against the companies involved in the tour bus crash. He said he wants to see change that would prevent something like this from happening again. It's hard. I cry every day, every night. I just want to answer why. Like, why did this happen? The statement of claim filed in Calgary alleges that the defendants acted recklessly and unreasonably in failing to take reasonable steps to ensure that the tour bus and the road were properly maintained, to ensure that the operator of the tour bus was qualified and taking proper precaution and due care, and to ensure that the tour bus itself was properly maintained. We think that something was done here that was wrong. Um, we think that this accident should not have happened. Um, and these people are, you know, people are seriously hurt and in some cases dead and they shouldn't be. A spokesperson for the company that runs the Columbia Icefield Tour says she can't comment on the pending litigation, adding, we continue to actively support a transparent and multi-agency investigation into the cause of this tragic accident. The results of this investigation, once completed, will be shared with the public. Matthew Farrell says it's been a difficult time for Devin Ernest. He's trying to pursue this case to make sure this sort of thing doesn't happen again and at the same time plan his girlfriend's funeral. You know, it's heartbreaking. Carolyn Curry, de Castillo, Global News. Well, it's drawing both cheers and jeers from coffee addicts. Starbucks bringing back one of its favorite seasonal drinks. But is it too soon for the pumpkin spice latte to be making an appearance? Beginning today, Starbucks customers can embrace the taste of fall by enjoying all their favorite pumpkin menu items. And while they're certainly a fan favorite, returning for a 17th year now, it is the earliest yet. And some feel it's maybe just a little too soon. Checks calendar, August 25th. It's too soon. In health matters tonight, the World Health Organization says there is only a slim possibility of people being reinfected with COVID-19. A WHO spokesperson is downplaying concerns of reports that a man in Hong Kong contracted COVID-19 for a second time. While the reinfection shouldn't cause alarm, it is significant because it's the first documented case. According to the University of Hong Kong scientists, the virus strains that infected the man more than four months apart were different. With Canadian musicians struggling during the COVID-19 pandemic, members of the Tragically Hip are offering to help. The band is selling reusable non-medical cloth masks with courage emblazoned across the front. Of course, the title of one of their most popular songs. All of the proceeds will go toward helping Canadian musicians and crew members who suffered financially because of the COVID-19 pandemic. The masks can be purchased on the Tragically Hips website for $15. Still to come, an 88-year-old gets her high school diploma. It really means the world to me. Thank you so much. The lesson she's teaching a whole new generation about perseverance. And why everyone on the water is watching out for Storm the Orca Calf. This little guy could barely contain himself. His road to recovery right after Christie's forecast.
But first, just before we get to Christy, there is some concern tonight about one of the calves of a famous orca who made headlines nearly two decades ago. The Vancouver Aquarium is monitoring the young whale after it was recently spotted emaciated off northeast Vancouver Island. Linda Aylesworth has more on the calf's predicament and why researchers won't be intervening. Every August, ocean-wise marine mammal researchers are drawn to the northeast coast of Vancouver Island. Their goal, to study the body conditions of BC's northern resident killer whales. And to do this, we fly a small drone over the whales. We take high-resolution photos, and from those photos, we can measure very accurately how fat they are. For the most part, these slightly better-off cousins of our endangered southern resident killer whales are doing all right. But last week, they came across a young whale that was an exception. The name of that whale is A116, or, or, or Storm. And Storm um, was very thin. Here's how they can tell. A well-nourished killer whale has lots of blubber around its neck. And so when viewed from above, the white eye patches on either side of the head angle out. But Storm doesn't have any fat reserves and is so emaciated that the eye patches are parallel to its body. And that's concerning. When, when, when whales get to be that thin, their, uh, their prospect of making it through the air is, is definitely much reduced. Storm's condition is getting a lot of attention because he or she is the second calf of this coast's most famous killer whale, Springer. She's famous because she was uh, orphaned herself uh, in uh, around 2002. Springer was a sickly calf fending for herself near Seattle when she was discovered in 2002. Looks like they've got her. They've got her. A rescue mission ensued. Springer was captured, nursed back to health, then shipped to her home waters in B.C. And she did, and she reunited with relatives, and she uh, has gone on to be a mom. Now her calf is fighting a life or death battle. But for Storm, there can be no human intervention. For one, her pod is rarely sighted. She's not in such dire condition that she doesn't have a chance of recovery. I, I, I'm not saying that she's doomed. Um, uh, I really hope that she's going to be okay. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Well, researchers believe Storm's weight loss might be due to an injury or illness and not because of a lack of prey, since the rest of APOD seems to be doing well. Good to know. All right, uh, let's check in with Christy, who's got a look at our weather forecast. And uh, it's going to sound like Groundhog Day maybe for you over the next little while. Give us the details. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Now, when the weather's like this, it's okay that we have Groundhog Day. That's for sure. I know a lot of people wanting to sort of get the last few days of summer and really enjoy it. And it looks like we've got lots for you to enjoy. First, before we get into our forecast, a quick look at some stunning photos that came in uh, today from Jen. She took these photos just yesterday in the Laklahash area, the Perseids meteor shower. Now, we're nearing the end of the meteor shower, so I'm, I'm really surprised that she captured such great shots. But thank you, Jen, for sharing those uh those photos, look at this one. Great. Awesome. Thanks, Jen. All right. So here's a look outside. Yeah, barely a cloud in the sky today, although there was a fair amount of cloud earlier in the morning and it was a chilly start to the day, but we certainly rebounded. 19 at the airport, but 23 degrees away from the water and we saw up to 24 in some areas, whereas the interior regions like Asoyuz hit about 29. Now these are near seasonal values or just slightly above in some areas and that's pretty good news for the forest fire situation. However, we were tracking the winds today and they did 
did have some gusty winds in the region, not too bad, and certainly we're expecting them to calm down overnight and not pick up much tomorrow. So we're talking about winds likely out of the north uh, for in that 10 to 20 kilometer an hour range. So some good news in terms of the winds for that area. Northwestern BC, some cloud cover and showers, but the rest of the province, yes, as Chris said, uh, it's going to be like Groundhog's Day over the next little while. We may see some cloud cover here and there, and especially late in the day, Friday into Saturday morning. Overall, a pretty nice trend. And really, when we look in the long range forecast, the long range forecast is looking sunny and hot as well. So into the early parts of September. Uh, one last shot from Jen. She just sent me so many. I had to use one more. This is from the Laklahash area last night. Wow, that is a beautiful starry sky. Thank you very much, Christy. Now back to the story behind that bear being set free into the wild in Colorado. As you can see, the young male bear bounded out of his cage and back into the forest. His return comes after spending a few months at a rehabilitation facility where he was treated after his paws were badly burned in a wildfire in June. The folks at the rehab center treated his burns, keeping him first in a pen with concrete floors and then moving him to one mimicking a forest after his pads had healed and toughened up. He also gained 70 pounds during his time in rehab and is now much better off in the wild. 70 pounds? <laughs> wow. That's good for a bear. Yes, well done. <laughs> All right, Squire's here now. What you got coming up, Squire? Well, first, I, I saw that picture from Lac La Hash. I don't know why I remember this. One of the greatest cheeseburgers I ever ate was in Lac La Hash. Really? It, it was I don't know where it was, and it was years ago, but it was very good. <laughs> I, I still remember it to this day, I know. Uh, the uh, Canucks say they just need to play better in game two for a different outcome. Here's a race, and Tuck's going to win it. Alex Tuck scores. That sounds like a good plan. Let's play better. But who's to say Vegas can't play better as well? Also ahead, why this 88-year-old student is just getting her high school diploma now. No, oh. I was not an adult. Kevin on Twitter says it was Clancy's. That's where I ate Black all those class, years the ago. burger place. Well, maybe. I mean, it, Clancy's will have, have to have been around for a while. I don't want to say what kind <laughs> of a while, but a while. Whatever the case, that Laclahash cheeseburger is stuck in my brain. On my deathbed, they're going to say, where was the best cheeseburger you ever had? I'll probably just shout out Laclahash. The uh, Canucks are able to uh, make a big lineup change, apparently, for tonight's game against Vegas, which is game two of this series. Tyler Toffoli back from injury. That means Louis Erickson will go out. Toffoli was taking line rushes in the warm-up with both the first line and the second line, so who knows where he'll start. But whatever the case, the lines get juggled throughout the game anyway. Uh, Vancouver didn't score, of course, in game one, so getting another score back in obviously should help because, as we know, Louis Erickson is not going to score. Uh, Bruins and Lightning game two. Boston won the first game. And they get the first goal by just banging away at it until it goes in. Nick Ritchie, yes, yes, it counts. one nothing in the first period. But here is a nice goal. Watch this. Blake Coleman. Zach Bogosian makes the move. And then Coleman makes the dive. That's like a diving header in soccer. So that made it 1-1. Uh, there are still Bruins from 2011 that give Canucks nightmares, like Brad Marchand tipping in that one. One of two goals he has scored in regulation. That made it 2-1. Here's another nice goal. 
Braden Point with the move, Spinorama, pass across, Shattenkirk the shot, Kuchera off the tip. It's 3-3 very late in the third period. Well, I know this has been a crazy year for sports. It's a crazy year for all of us. And the Vancouver Whitecaps and Major League Soccer have had to basically do things on the fly to keep its regular season going. But the Whitecaps look like a mess again. On this Eastern road trip, they haven't been able to score a goal. Uh, their big star, Lucas Cavallini, really doesn't have a whole lot of help. He's like Tom Hanks in Castaway. He's by himself. He doesn't even have Wilson. If uh, you're going to sign a striker, you kind of need to have someone, or preferably more than one person, who can get him the ball. Tonight, Vancouver is in Montreal, where they allow 250 fans who had to socially distance. And there is Mark DeSantos. And here is the first goal, and it's not by Vancouver. It's Romel Kyoto who heads it in, so the impact make the first impact, and it's one nothing for Montreal. Michael Baldissimo, that's a Thierry Henry, the coach. Michael Baldissimo of Burnaby. Oh, little more to the right, he would have scored there. Still one nothing. Then a breakout here by Montreal. Vancouver doesn't score much, and if you don't score a lot, you better have a stout defense. This is anything but stout. Lassie Lapalainen is wide open, and he's scoring. Okay, start of the second half. The highest paid guy gets a chance from the spot, Lucas Cavallini. It's, it's not going in. I'm not a goal scorer in soccer, but you may want to kick it a little bit harder than that. Just an idea. So 2-0 late in the game in Montreal. There are reports that Lionel Messi has told Barcelona he no longer wants to play for them. He wants to sign somewhere else. He's been with Barcelona nearly 20 years. Came over from Argentina when he was a kid. The fact Barcelona is not as good as it used to be might be a reason he wants out. He also apparently isn't all that keen with team management these days. But there's a bit of a dispute whether he can get out of his contract or not. He is 33 now, but where would he go? There was talk of the Premier League. Even today, some were saying, would he go to MLS like some other aging stars? But one thing about Messi, he's not really the kind of guy who likes the spotlight. And if he's going to go to the MLS, which is highly unlikely, they're going to want him to do a lot of public appearances and be the face of the game, and that's not his style. So he may stay in Europe, or maybe he'll go home to Argentina. Who knows? He'll compete at that level, can't he? Oh, he could. And there is also talk, is there any way to get him and Ronaldo on the same team for a year or two? Mm. Boy. Both in their mid-30s, but it would be fun. Yeah. Thanks, Squire. All right, here's Andrew and now with a preview of Global News at 11. Ann? Thanks, Chris. There's been another disturbing discovery at a Victoria Park. Police say they found an uncapped syringe taped to a bench allegedly intended to harm whoever sat down. It's the third case this month alone. Plus another potential exposure COVID-19 case at a Vancouver restaurant. The warning from Vancouver Coastal Health to those who visited Privé Kitchen and Bar on West Broadway. Those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Chris, Sophie. Will do. Okay, thank you, Ann. Up next, an education interrupted by the Holocaust is now finally complete.
A Holocaust survivor has finally been able to fulfill a lifelong dream. More than 70 years after the Nazis robbed Miriam Schreiber of her formal education, she has finally earned her high school diploma. At 88 years old, in a cap and gown, Miriam Schreiber savors a moment she's dreamed of for decades. Due to the events beyond my control, I was never able to get my high school diploma. This has been a profound regret of mine all my life. Schreiber's education disrupted by a desperate journey to survive the Holocaust. Her family living for years on the run, hiding from the Nazis, eventually sent to a slave labor camp in Siberia. And nobody would have faulted her for just giving up, but she didn't. Uh, She, of course, learned all the languages everywhere she went. Today, she's fluent in six, learning English when she immigrated to the United States to raise a family. The generations after live awed and inspired by her. Congratulations, buddy. This uh, honorary diploma uh, is, is well-deserved, and she certainly, in the school of life, has earned it. Perhaps a lesson that with perseverance and a grateful heart. It really means the world to me. Thank you so much. Our greatest moments are yet to come. Katie Beck, NBC News. Well done. Absolutely. And six languages. Yeah. Amazing. Brilliant. Uh, brilliant start for the Canucks, too, before we get to weather, Squire. Tyler Toffoli, the very guy we were talking about. Need an extra goal score? You got one. He puts one in. Immediate impact. We like that <laughs> in, a, in a very crucial game. Uh, okay, and steady as she goes, I guess, in weather, Christy. Yes, for the most part, we've got lots of sunshine on the way. Temperatures will be near seasonal, so similar to what we saw today for the next several. But it looks like the long range could heat up next week. We'll wait to see if that really transpires. But for now, enjoy the terrific conditions. Oh, we will do. Thanks very much, Christy. Have a good night, everyone.